plans are worthless, but planning is everything. General and President Dwight Eisenhower's wisdom still rings true today. The Mutual Broadcasting System presents STRAT, Strategic Risk Assessment Talk. A forum with a preparedness mindset. Mitigating risks, creating systems of prevention and recovery to deal with potential threats. And understanding the objectives of a business continuity plan. This is the podcast for leaders who are committed to being prepared. Now, here are your hosts, retired Marine Intelligence Officer and globally recognized risk expert, Hal Kempfer, and investment banking executive, Mark Mansfield. Mark, we're going to talk about making manufacturing a means of mitigation. And it's interesting because you and I, we have a history of corporate wargaming, of facilitating all sorts of tabletop discussions, exercises, strategic planning, uh, all sorts of things where we have talked about where to put manufacturing, you know, what manufacturing to do in what country, what type of manufacturing to do across the board. But as the world has become a more uncertain place, shall we say, uh, with strategic conflict amongst major players, thinking about this in a more rigorous fashion and bringing in some of these externalities, if you will, into the decision, into the, you know, the deliberation process has become more and more important. Yeah, there's just one other point to add there, too. A part of what we discussed in our podcast and what we're going to be discussing now can seem um, opaque and overwhelming. Our goal is to provide visibility and, and accessibility to action steps, not just from the planning side, Again, we emphasize this, we'll wrap it up with this as well. We encourage no material commitment of resources until you've gone through some planning exercise. And further, that must be married to a a proven capability to execute through an investment banking uh, uh, platform. And and by the way, we see this all the time. We see it in government, we see it in business. Uh, we, We often use the term ready, fire, aim which is, you know, make a decision, but really the deliberation side of that isn't there. And it needs to be looked at, you know, a bottom line is it's like school. You gotta do your homework. And if you don't know how you do your, if you don't do your homework, you know, it's almost guaranteed you're not gonna do well in the test. And of course, in the business world and in government, that failing that test has very, very dire consequences across the board. Yeah. So. That, that, that's exactly right. And, and again, not, we, we, not, just to sharpen that point, l- the goal is not to have everything down to two decimal places, but you must be directionally prepared to move either right or left, you know, just like you're in the dojo, depending on, on, on what develops with the various scenarios. So I'll give it back to you, Hal. Well, let's talk about supply chains and let's talk about how the world is starting to change. You know, there's a term that has really taken off over the last year, couple of years, de-risking is the big term. You know, we just recently, uh, Commerce Secretary Raimondo uh, was, was in China and was talking about U.S. investment and, and basically being very blunt with the Chinese, talking about there's a lot of reason for de-investing or not investing in China. But when you talk about China, but it's not just China, there's other countries around the world where the political framework of what's happening, uh, certainly Russia uh, has, has become a place. I mean, I can't imagine anybody investing in Russia right now. Co- companies are de-investing 
you know, selling whatever they have, getting out of there, taking huge losses just to get out of Russia. Uh, it has changed the framework. It has changed the way we look at supply chains, and de-risking has become a, a byword for corporations, also government, in terms of how they do things. So yes, so so this is uh, the de-risking is uh, you know married to rapid rebalancing, right? Because in, in terms of de-risking, okay, now what? Uh, so we're we're all rebalancing and. We've talked about supply chains, uh, and actually we had, a, you can reference a, another one of our podcasts, Securing Strategic Sourcing, uh, which, which is, you know, it goes into much deeper detail. What we want to cover a little bit here is just the shifts that are being driven in the manufacturing uh, segment, okay? Whether, whether it's through, obviously, artificial intelligence, robotics, automation, um, and then what does that mean in terms of our established uh, platforms, obviously again in China and other parts of the world, but also as we continue with our theme of Fortress North America, what kind of manufacturing is going to be manifested um, within North America? Well, and I, and I should mention, if you're looking at these extended supply chains, you know, back in the early 90s and three decades back when you and I were doing our, our MBA stuff and our post-MBA stuff and, and uh and globalization was the key word, all right? And, and, and at that time, NAFTA, the North American Free Trade Agreement, had just come into place. A lot of that really aimed at, at, at turning Mexico into a very large, robust manufacturing area and also looking at services coming out of Mexico as well. And as we sometimes used to say back then, is manufacturing and other services kind of went down south and then took a hard right turn and went across <laughs> the Pacific to China because China had incentives. They had actually lower labor costs. They, they had all sorts of incentives for setting up manufacturing and other things in China, all sorts of sourcing in China. And of course, India stepped into a lot of the service market, you know, with the massive call center industry and stuff like that. So a lot of things we thought were going to stay in North America actually shifted across Pacific. But now with the new reality, three decades later, with uncertainty abounding, uh, that has to be incorporated in that planning. A lot of that stuff was driven by s simple quant stuff. It's like, oh, look, labor lower, labor lower labor costs. Look, we can do that. Oh, shipping is is really low cost, relatively speaking. We can take advantage of that. Now you have to take a look at other things. You have to look at uncertainty, but you also have to incorporate things in technology. And where is the the essence of how manufacturing is is happening? How is that going to occur with robotics, artificial intelligence, and some of these other technologies? Not just what's here, but what's coming down in the next few years or several years. Yeah. You know, to, to underline a point that you made there, uh, not just cheap labor. I mean, it was uh, massive amounts of capital that were thrown out by, by China to, to coordinate that uh, hard turn, as you said. You know, even pre-COVID in 2019, uh, China's industrial dollar outlays, outlays, I'm sorry, were 250 billion, about four times larger than the U.S. at that time. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now we all know about the uh, wherever you stand on the political spectrum, but the Inflation Reduction Act that's that is basically are architecting a lot of the industrial remapping of uh, Fortress North America, obviously United States. Now we're going to cover a couple of things here, how that's leading into some unintended consequences. Let's focus on the positive first. The positive is is that you know we are now treating manufacturing uh, of, of key components of as a as a strategic element. Okay, to pull back again, we've you've heard us talk about this, whether it's for the um, you know, the vertical integration drivers, 
or, or elements that we need to have as end users in our society. There's also a political element to that, which is to maintain um, uh, stability within our middle class structure. And I, I, there's a point we'll come back to, but I just want to throw this back to you, Hal. Well, stability, uh, you know, resilience of a society across the board, but, but stability, and that's what really, if you look at business, that's what it needs. It needs a reliable structure. Hence, we use the term rule of law. Uh, we use it certainly within a country, but we also talk about the international system. Uh, that's one of the things that right now, some of these externalities, like what's happening with Russia and Ukraine, uh, what's happening, uh, someone might even point out BRICS. Uh, right, right. It's, it's kind of destabilizing the international order in many ways. Uh, that's that international consortium where they just had the conference uh, not too long ago. Uh, obviously, what China's doing with the strategic competition, all of this is making a great deal of uncertainty in the international order, which causes uncertainty in supply chains. It, it causes uncertainty in capital flows. It causes uncertainty in, in just about everything is done. Business doesn't like that. Business doesn't grow on a regular clip unless there's certainty in the system. And that's what we're really looking at. And, and when we talk about mitigation, what we're talking about is trying to reduce the amount of risk in the system and hence looking at manufacturing as a mitigative tool in ways that say 10 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, we really would have considered because the system seemed more predictable, more stable back at that time. So uh, I think certainty is, is important in the, in the, the micro uh, cosm you just addressed in terms of our, our, our society here, but also on the, on the broader uh, uh, continuum, between alliances. So you, you've heard our, our theme consistently has been that there has to be a cohesive alliance within you know, certainly Fortress North America, so the Western Hemisphere, our European partners, how we're starting to cultivate India more as a, as a pivot power, uh, as, as an offset. But right now with this race, with each region racing to become the next manufacturing hub, it's creating a little confusion within our internal alliances. And then and you, we, we should talk a little bit about this about the race to subsidize the next business um, platform. And, and with whether it's the, the Inflation Reduction Act or European initiatives, what, what's happening is we're creating um, subsidy wars. Uh, now subsidies can take many forms. It can take direct grants, it can take tax breaks, uh, but whatever we've now we, we're finding, uh, are companies moving from Canada down to the States because of that, or from the States over to Germany? We've got some specific examples, uh, or from Finland down to down to Germany, for example. Uh, it, it, it's really now saying like, wait, who's on first within our own team? You know, it's really interesting uh, seeing that, and, and, and I've interfacing a while back with a uh, large German concern and it is interesting to see the uh, incentives that Germany's putting out there. And, and of course, more recently, if you look at the economic projections for Germany, uh, not great. Uh, in, in fact, it was, it was brought up that Russia is projecting growth and Germany was not projecting growth this next year. Mm -hmm. They're actually contracting. Right, you're right. And with that, that puts tremendous political pressure on Germany to incentivize manufacturing and a lot of other things. Now, I personally have a lot of confidence that Germany is going to uh, resurge. We've seen it done, but if you go back 20 years ago, there was a similar conversation and they did some very smart stuff and they got the German economy back growing at a fairly regular clip and they got manufacturing going in there. 
and they did a lot of smart things then. I think they'll do it again, but also looking at the European Union as a whole. Now, I'm going to go out in, on a little bit of a, uh, a limb here, and I'm going to say one of the things, you know, there's an old saying, nothing brings a group together like a common threat. And, and Russia right now right. has brought a lot of people together. You know, it was talk, there was talk a while back that NATO maybe had, had, had its purpose had been eclipsed by world events, that the European Union, you know, there was so much dissension that they were having a tough time. And, of course, with Brexit, uh, you know, where it took out a major player out of the European Union, all this stuff's happening. But now as we see this common threat, as we see the European Union, NATO coming together, I think there's economic sides of this, which has second, third order effects in where manufacturing is set up and how we strategically look at manufacturing and coordinate that at the national level, national security, uh, obviously global level, but but certainly uh, at the enterprise level as well, I think that's weighing in as a political consideration that probably wasn't as dominant as it is now. Yeah, there's no question that the de facto Russian-China alliance is, is driving those considerations that you, that, that you just, just framed. That, that goes back to the point we we're, were making earlier, I believe. It's all that much more critical to reinforce and harmonize within our Western sphere uh, manufacturing as a strategic element. And so that's easier said than done. I mean, back, you mentioned Germany, following up on that. Um, they, they, you know, they just attracted Intel over to manufacturing with a, a $10 billion. They've brought down the Swedish battery maker, Northvolt. So, you know, th they're on a full-on recruiting uh, search. Uh, you know, for example, uh, India, South Korea is now supporting India. There's $2.5 billion invested over the last decade. That can be very positive. At some point, it's going to have to be harmonized so we don't overly strain our alliances is, is, is the point I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make. There, there, there's one other, well, there's two other points. Uh, can I go ahead and, and make them? Uh, one is back to that concept of the middle class stability. And we've got to think this through um, as, as business leaders uh, in Fortress North America. Because with the technology, although it strategically can be very beneficial, it, we're creating a bifurcation to say high-end coders. Uh, you alluded to sometimes empty plants now, and then uh, a service economy, economy, a baristas. It's always been the middle class has been the cohesive tissue in a stable society. Certainly, you know, in, in Fortress North America. The other quick point is that there's a little bit of uh, concern here. The public doll, public dollars picking winners picking winners has not always been a good plan of action so you know there, so sometimes we it's almost like we've gone full circle to kind of a central planning theme that we were very critical of uh now whether that's a necessary gap right now to cover i'm not sure but we have to be careful about that uh you know, not squeezing out private sector with public sector dollars. I, I would also say, though, uh, one of the things I see in investing across the board is doing the planning, doing the analysis better is absolutely crucial. And I think that a lot of investment strategy undervalued or, or, or underincorporated some of these external forces, you know, such as strategic confrontation coming from China, the disruption of potential warfare. Uh, I personally have seen it firsthand that that natural disasters were often underassessed 
which had horrific effects, uh, whether it's hurricanes, earthquakes, what have you, uh, volcanoes. Uh, if you want to take the example of Tonga, yeah. uh, that volcano has, has completely disrupted their economy across the board. Uh, which may not seem like a dominant issue globally speaking, but in Tonga it's a pretty big issue, uh, and and certainly with uh, epi, you know pandemics and, and and things like that. So I just want to kind of reference that. The other thing too is, and and you touched on this with the incentives, if you will, the subsidies to put manufacturing in places. You know, I, I look. There are certain realities with climate change in terms of of you know out in the western states. We look at water availability. Water wars in the West have been going on forever in the Western United States. And and we have certain manufacturing, certain types of things that come in that are very water dependent. In fact, you and I consulted on a thing where we looked at putting a processing plant into a Southwestern state that didn't have a lot of water, but actually use a lot of water. <laughs> and, and as it turns out, that plant didn't go in there. And I kind of look back and I go, that probably was a pretty good idea because we were kind of straining the water resources. Although I will say in that particular state, other manufacturing has gotten in there, very water dependent, and they still have the same problem, which is they don't have enough water. And that state was dependent on a lot of Colorado River water, which is being curtailed. So that has to be part of that mitigation strategy, which is smart investing. Just because there's a great subsidy or a tax incentive or whatever, you need to also look at do we have the resources here, uh, whether it's natural resources or human capital or whatever, that we can maintain the type of operations we want to do? Yeah, absolutely. And and, and I, I just want to wind up my, my comments, contributing comments to this, this podcast, which is was quickly summarizing that, you know, we, we, we're now working in an era of, we don't know for how long, but as we touched on in this podcast, broad-based industrial policy. We have to do our best to harmonize that and not get in confuse our alliances um, within our, our Western sphere of influence as, as we, as I said, you know, respond to and manage risk with the Russian-China um, alliance. So we, we do have tools uh, available, and I'm going to have direct traffic to that point, of, of managing, in, in, you know, managing in an era of industrial policy uh, and, and what to consider as a decision maker or an advisor or as a board member. Also, again, key point, Strategy is good. Scenario development is good. These considerations are central to all of that decision making. Once those decisions are framed, you need experienced execution and and banking guidance to whether grow organically, respond synthetically, whatever the case may be. Chance favors a prepared mind, and there's a lot of things where having a prepared mind makes an absolute crucial difference. If you want more on this, if you want to learn more about what we're talking about with tools, uh, our resource center place to go is at gripsa.com that's for global risk intelligence and planning uh that's g-r-i-p-s-a.com that's our website that's a good place to start there are tools there are methodologies but i would say before you make the billion dollar decision you might want to invest far less in making sure that decision is well founded well thought out and i'm going to use the term holistic which is looking at all the different factors, not just looking at you know what the accountants say, but also looking at those things that maybe the accountants didn't quantify quite as much as they should have. Thank you, Hal. Uh, there, there's no substitute for experience from the field is, is the last point I would make. So um, just, just be aware that this input is relevant. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. Strat. 
Strategic Risk Assessment Talk with Hal Kempfer and Mark Mansfield. Podcast weekly from the Mutual Broadcasting System.